Welcome to our final sermon in Exodus, the end of our walk through this book. We come to the end of our journey as the Israelites are about to restart theirs. We started with Joseph, 400 years condensed into seven verses, the birth of a boy hidden in the reeds and drawn out by a princess. Faithful women carrying out the sovereign promise of God in their generation. Moses picking up his leadership too early and having his character weaknesses exposed, so hidden again. This time amongst sheep in the desert until God reignited his life and his leadership. A bush on fire, a calling and a name. I am who I am. Moses objected, Aaron assisted, Pharaoh resisted, God triumphed. A hardening of hearts, a collection of plagues, a Passover lamb, a sea divided, a nation rescued, an army destroyed. Three months of grumbling, 11 months at a mountain, 10 laws revealed, a short-lived calf, a tabernacle, defined, described, designed, erected and inhabited. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard And so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and the fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. We have covered 40 chapters in 19 sermons. For some, it's been a whistle-stop tour. You've regularly wanted to dig into these passages again. Hopefully the daily reading plan has helped you do that. For others, it seemed a long journey. You've regularly cried out, are we nearly there yet? Well, yes, we are nearly there. And what have we learnt over this season? How might we summarise all the key aspects of our journey? What can we take forward? Well, hopefully much. We began our journey back on the 26th of February. We looked forward at that point to what we might learn. Now we reflect on what we have learnt. We look for those things we can take forward into the next season, those truths that will live with us. Back in February, when I preached the introduction to the series, I told us we would see patterns of redemption, glimpses of God's big plan. 
we said that within the Exodus story, we would keep bumping into Jesus. We said that we would discover that this narrative would reveal the meta-narrative. This story would tell us something of God's big story. And within that story, we have discovered things about the character of God. We've discovered how Jesus reflects that character. We've discovered how we are supposed to reflect his character in our lives. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to remind ourselves just of four aspects of God's character that we've seen. We're going to just see how Jesus fulfills those aspects. And we're going to see how we are called to now model those aspects in our lives. So what have we learnt about God's character? Well, firstly, we've learnt this. We've learnt that God seeks and saves the lost. Exodus 3, verse 7, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. God is awesome. God is sovereign. God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. God created everything we see and the things we can't see yet. God sees and created the things that are too small for our eyes and too far away for us to comprehend. And yet he is not distant. God is not ambivalent to the plight of his people. When the time is right, God steps in because God's heart is to seek and save. God's heart is to look, to see, to hear and to rescue. God is a rescuing God. When Jesus in his ministry will tell the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son, it's not just a nice story. It is telling us something about the very heart of God that he comes to seek and save the lost. Secondly, we learn that God is always on the side of the oppressed. God is always looking for those on the margins. At the end of verse 7, we just read, it says this, I am concerned about their suffering. We see God's compassion for the oppressed. In his rescue of his people, in his judgment of their oppressors, we see it in his provision for the poor in the law. Exodus 22 says this, Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you are foreigners in Egypt. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do, and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows, your children fatherless. God is on, the heart, is on the side of the underdog. If you feel you're an underdog right now, God sees you. God sees you. Because in his essential character, God is on the side of the oppressed and those on the edge. 
Thirdly, God is a God of grace. Exodus 3 verse 12, When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. God rescues before he regulates. Remember, we, told, we reminded ourselves, we drew out of the text, that God does not give his law when they are in Egypt. God does not say to his people when they're in slavery, well, I know life is tough, but here's another set of rules. Here's another set of boundaries. And if you can keep all of these for, let's say, a year, then I will rescue you. No. God is a God of grace. God steps in when they've almost forgotten him. God steps in when they feel forgotten. God steps in and rescues them. God says to Moses, God promises to Moses, you will bring my people out and they will stand on this mountain and they will worship me. Oh, but we've done nothing to deserve that, Lord. No, but I deserve worship and I'm a God of grace and so I am going to draw you out. I am going to rescue you, not because of who you are, but because of who I am. And then I will give you some boundaries, not to hem you in, but to release you to live in the good of the relationship I want with you, to live in the good of grace. These boundaries that I will give you will not cheapen grace nor will they limit grace. No, they will allow you to live in freedom. God is a God of grace. And fourthly, we have learnt, especially over recent weeks, that God is a God of presence because he desires relationships. At one level, all that we learn about God in Exodus is part of this central truth, which reaches its crescendo in these verses we've read. God desires relationship with his people. God's big plan is to walk in the cool of the evening with us. God's meta-narrative is relational. God's big picture is that he dwells in the midst of his people. And therefore he reveals his name to Moses to both reveal his identity, who God is, but also because he wants relationship. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you and the great I am the great Yahweh the great Jehovah sends Moses to the people that the people might come and be with God God's presence in the midst of his people is a sign of that desire you cannot have a relationship with someone who is absent tragically many of us try no you have a relationship with someone who is present and so God presences his, himself in the midst of his people. When Moses makes that glorious request of God in Exodus 33, he is basically praying back to God, God's own heart. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. 
Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? Moses gets it. There's loads of times in the book where we find Moses doesn't get it, but he gets this, that God is a God who wants relationship. And so Moses is bold enough to pray back to God what is on God's own heart. As we've looked at these final chapters of Exodus, as we've unpacked the design and the construction of the tabernacle, as we've looked at the role of the priests, these chapters have all been leading us to these final verses. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This is the crescendo of the symphony. This is the big reveal at the end of the mystery. This is the homecoming at the end of the journey. God presences himself in the tent of meeting. What a great phrase. A tent where you meet with God. God dwelling in their midst with all eyes fixed on the tent of meeting, with all eyes fixed on the cloud and the fire, and we are not moving unless it moves. Because where the presence of God goes, there we will go. We said at the beginning, we will constantly bump into Jesus. And we have, haven't we? And when we just draw out these four big themes, we realize again that Jesus is the fulfillment of these themes. You don't need to be a great biblical scholar to see how in the life of Christ, in the life of Jesus, these characteristics of God are perfectly revealed. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Luke 19, as it tells this wonderful story of Jesus at Zacchaeus' house, says this, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus perfectly reflects the Father's heart. Even in this little moment with this little tax collector, no one went to his house until he changed. What does Jesus do? He goes to his house so that he can change. Because he come to seek and save the lost. Jesus in his ministry perfectly demonstrates that God is always on the heart of the oppressed and the outcast. He eats with the tax collector. He reaches out and touches the leper. He seeks out the Samaritan woman. He lets the prostitute wash his feet with nard. Jesus 
is constantly spending time with all the wrong people. Jesus is constantly spending time and lifting up those who others, especially the religious, cross the road to avoid. Jesus spends his life on the edge from the moment of his birth when the unwashed shepherds visit him, when the Gentile mystics visit him, all the way through to his compassion for a thief on a cross. Jesus perfectly reflects that God is working on the edge of society. God is drawing in and standing up for the oppressed. Jesus is, of course, the perfect representation of the grace of God. Let these famous scriptures wash over you for a moment. John 1, 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but inherit eternal life. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, the words of Paul, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Paul again, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him, that's Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him, Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is the grace of God to us. And Jesus perfectly reflects God's desire for relationship with us and for his presence to be alongside us every moment. John chapter 1, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Exodus 40, the glory of God descends on a tent. In Jesus, as Andy so helpfully illustrated a couple of weeks ago, Jesus himself tabernacles with us and reveals his glory. Jesus is the perfect reflection of God's desire for relational presence. God pitched his tent in our midst through the incarnation. Jesus' death and resurrection deal once and for all with the separation between us and God caused by sin. The ascended Christ stands in the presence of God, interceding for us. And the ascension of Christ releases the Holy Spirit to be poured out on the new tabernacle, the church, in which the presence of God dwells through his Holy Spirit. No wonder we bump into Jesus. He is the fulfillment, the perfect representation of God's character revealed in this journey. 
What does it mean for us today? Are we closing the book now? Well, yes, Exodus points to Jesus. Jesus has, has come and ascended and will one day return. Right, let's close the book. The Exodus story does point us to the bigger story. Exodus does reveal patterns of redemption, a redemptive pattern displayed perfectly in Christ. But the Exodus story and the meta-narrative it points to, the big story it points to, has not finished yet. This story is our story. The work of Christ is finished. But we are not yet finished and God is not yet finished with us. Acts chapter 1 verse 1, Luke says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Philippians 1 verse 6, being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3, 18, we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Ephesians 4, 12 to 15. These ministries exist to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We we are growing up. We are works in progress. We've seen a story in Exodus which is fulfilled in Christ. But that story, that narrative is handed to us. What does that mean? Well, we reminded ourselves earlier that though we reach the end of the book, the people of God were about to restart their journey. Likewise for us, though we reach the end of this book, we are on a journey with God. And in that journey, in that walk, we are called to represent God to our generation. What does that mean? It means this, friends. We are called to preach the gospel that seeks and saves the lost. God is still reaching out and he is doing that through us. We need to preach the gospel. God's heart still beats for the outcast and the oppressed and therefore we are called to welcome everyone, to seek out those people on the edge, to stand up to speak up for those who do not have a voice. As a church, we are called to reflect the character of God, to preach the gospel of salvation, to reach out in social action, to stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. We are called to model the grace of God to one another and the world around us. 
which means stepping back from judgment and finger-pointing and being open-handed. Recognizing that by grace we have been saved and therefore we are in no position to judge, but we are in a position to welcome and forgive and honor and invite. We speak prophetically about grace and forgiveness in a world that has too little of both. We are called to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit, to stay in step with the Holy Spirit, to listen as the Spirit says when to go to the left and to the right, to allow the Holy Spirit to actively dwell within us because we are called to be a people of the very presence of God. And some of these things are challenging, which is why it's so helpful that it's not based on regulation, it's based on relationship. We're called to be a people in relationship with the great I am. To live in his presence. To model his character. To speak out of grace. To welcome all. To stand up for the oppressed and the outcast. To actively seek those who God's heart beats so strongly for we are an exodus people. We are on a journey. God has rescued us. God has presenced himself amongst us. There will come a day when God will welcome us into our promised land. And in the meantime, we're called to live such lives that the world would look at us and ask the question, who is your God? And how do we get to know him? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for this walk through Exodus. As we move on, would we continue to walk in step with you as you fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, as you transform us from one degree of glory into another, as we seek to be image bearers and kingdom bringers. Amen.